everybody. Welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. My guest for this episode of Mixmasters is John Klucheritz. And John joined me from Los Angeles, where he's currently the monitor engineer for a band called Pierce the Veil. You may have heard of them. I'm guessing you have. We dig into John's setup and rig that he uses with Pierce the Veil. It's really fun to really dive into his console, his RF equipment, microphones, and all of that fun, nerdy audio gear. But John has also worked with other bands, including Black Veil Brides, Andy Black, Interrupters, Set It Off. He's also worked with Vans Warp Tour. He's also an Eagle Scout, so that means he can pretty much do everything and anything. So this is a really fun episode to listen to. I had a blast talking to John. I've run into him a number of times at festivals and events. I always enjoy talking with him, and I was really happy to get him on the podcast and let you get to hear more about his story. So listen, enjoy, subscribe, tell a friend, and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mixmasters. My guest for the day today is John Klucheritz. And John, I hope I said your last name correctly. We just talked about it. You said it perfectly. I'm old and I have a bad memory. So it's like, I also have that that undesirable uh, trait or skill where I can look somebody straight in the eye. They'll tell me their name. And four seconds later, I have to say, I'm sorry, what was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> Happens fairly often in what we do. We meet, you know. Oh, yeah. So many people every day. Exactly. Well, I wanted to say, first of all, thanks for being on the podcast. I have done, I haven't done shows with you. I've seen you at a number of shows yep. and you're somebody that I've always wanted to have on the podcast. And as we were talking prior to hitting record, we've just both been pretty slam busy, but man, the stars aligned and I got to have you on the podcast. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've been a big fan of the podcast since you uh, started it and I first listened to it. I think... The first one I listened to was one that you had Travis Wade on. And Travis is a really good friend of mine. I had seen him like right after you guys recorded that. And I was like, what is this podcast he's talking about? I've never heard of it before. He's such a great dude. Travis, if you're listening, thank you also for being a guest. And just thanks for being so cool. I got to catch up with Travis. Were you at When We Were Young Festival this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were there. All right. Yeah, I thought I saw you there. I just, I saw so many people. And again, it's that four second memory. I think... I think we saw each other. I was like scrambling looking for a Pelican that had like all of my like principal microphones in it that I had forgotten. I was like, where? And Hey, hey, good to see you. Okay, I got to go. I think we Patty, gave each other a, a halfway hug and then you were like, I got to go. I got to I got to try to find this Pelican. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy festival, but great to see Travis and so many awesome people at that festival. Did you... I know you found your Pelly, but after that, did you have a good time at when we were young? Yeah, it was, I think, for a first-year festival of that scale, it worked out pretty well. You know, nothing too major mess-up-wise. Yeah, I was I was impressed. They did a... I don't think anybody thought they could pull it off as well as they did, and especially with it being a first-year. Nope, not... I had... When that festival got announced, like... Everybody became a uh, stage manager, production man. Like everybody in the world was like, I know everything about logistics for live shows. And I was like, please, please just stop. Little did we know that they would have rotisseries on every single stage and tons of staging area behind the stages. And it just, they spent money on that. Were you guys on a turntable? Yeah, we were on uh, the Stripe and Stripe stage, I believe it was. Okay, we were on the black stage. So we were on one of the main stages and ours wasn't a turntable. Really? But we also had the other main stage to like A, B off of. So when it was like black and pink, and I think when the black stage was playing, the pink stage was doing their changeover. We were like that. We were on Checker and Stripe. 
and they were right next to each other. They were smaller than black and pink. The stages weren't quite as big, I don't believe. But both of ours had rotisseries and that was or turntables or whatever we're gonna call them. But yeah, they, they that system worked really well. Whoever Yeah, I I love it. I've I've watched a turntable break once and it was the most horrifying thing. Like it gets it gets halfway and you just see the the blackout screen like dead on and you see half a band on one side and half a band on the other. And it's like uh, a million people scrambling to fix it. People staring at each other from either side of the blackout wall trying to figure out what's happening. Yep. That would be a little awkward. I'm, I'm glad that I'm going to knock on wood here in my, my office and hope that that doesn't happen at future shows. Yeah. We, uh, Pierce is playing it again next year. So I guess this year now. So I'll let you know how it goes this year if any turntables break or not. Well, I hope I'm there. I, I'm working primarily with the Treyu and Story of the Year right now, and I, I have to believe that one of those two will be back at the show, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Organizers, if you're listening, please have one of those bands. Because <laughs> I really enjoyed the festival. It was really fun. Yeah, it was really... It, honestly, like, it was... I think it, there were a few things to, like, fix for next year, but other than that, it was great. Yeah, totally agree. But we'll we'll get more into that later. We will. We're jumping ahead here, but I was just excited to to see you and wanted to recount some of the the fond memories. But so you're familiar with the podcast. Uh, again, thank you, Travis, for being a guest and getting John turned on to the show and agreeing to do it with me. But I'd love to know a little bit about your history. You're a pretty young person, I believe. But yeah. when did you get started in music? Do you play any instruments? What got you to where you are today. Just give us a little overview, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I am one of the rare human beings that is involved in the music industry that has never played an instrument or been in a band. Like, I play nothing. You know, I I did high school choir, but that was only because senior year, we got to go to Disney World. So (laughs) that was the only reason I was involved. And uh, the choir director from my high school, who I'm still friends with to this day, like definitely knows that by now. But no, I started in middle school. I had like a very early start. So like in middle school, seventh grade, I had a crush on this girl. And this is relevant to the story. That girl that I had a crush on did like stage crew. So like moving set pieces and flying in like backdrops and all that for the musical. And my... 12-year-old brain said, if I do that, I get to hang out with her more. And so I signed up for it. And then like, after I signed up for it, I found out she had to drop out because of something, grades, time, sports, what what have you. But I fell in love with it. I fell in love with everything about it. So I was sitting there like 12 years old, like pushing giant set pieces back and forth on my middle school's auditorium stage. And then Next year in eighth grade, they were like, oh, we need like an eighth grader to run the lighting board for all of the events for the year. And I was like, I mean, if you teach me how to do it, I'll do it. And so I was a lighting guy first and lighting is a very like loose term. I know enough about it to make me very dangerous. And then I moved up to high school and my I have an older brother and he had like done a little bit of sound and lights in high school. And because of that, my family knew the teacher that was like in charge of it very well. And, you know, my parents kind of said, you need to have an extracurricular activity. And I was like, well, I like doing this stuff. So I guess I'll just do it again. And so, you know, freshman year, I started out doing lighting again, again, very big quotation marks, very loose. You know, I just I just threw up faders and that was it. And then my high school was lucky enough to have a couple graduates that had moved on and done stuff professionally. And so they had brought in a graduate to do the sound for the musical that year. And he, they had enough budget to like replace the old Mackie 32 by 8 analog mixer that half the channels didn't work and all that Uh he replaced it with a Yamaha M7. So we're now in 2010, 2010. So Yamaha M7. And I watched him hit a button and all of the faders moved on their own. And I immediately was like, I want to do that. 
that was cool. I want to do that. So I had moved to doing sound uh, and then did sound like the rest of high school and learned a lot. Thought I learned a lot. Uh, I went to college and wound up figuring out that I knew nothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. A microphone's feeding back. I will hit the phantom power button and see if that does anything. So realized I knew absolutely nothing. And was like, all right, cool. I have to start from square one. I'm I'm busy laughing over here, but uh, <laughs> we've all been there. I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So automation is what got you into sound is what I'm hearing. It was It was seeing like blinking lights on a board and then just watching like, because the M7s have that like little section where you can move any of the banks to the center section. And I watched him move like from bank, from faders one through eight to faders like nine through 16. And the center section just did a, a little like, whoop. I was like, this is cool. Also, I mean, he played this guy who was a mentor to me for years. We had similar music interests. And so he would like, while he's working, just play the same bands I was listening to in my headphones, like over the speakers in our auditorium. And I was like, this is awesome. This guy's cool. I mean, he had tattoos. He had lip rings. And I was like, I want to be like this guy when I grow up. So Greg, if you're listening, you you know this. You're the reason I do this stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Greg, because John is a good guy. So whatever whatever voodoo you cast to get him into this full time, we all appreciate it. <laughs> it's funny because he doesn't even do audio anymore. He's like an LED like department lead at a rental company. Oh, crazy. He So you went from air quotes, lighting to audio, and he went from audio to video. Yeah. Maybe that's the evolutionary chain of things. It might, I mean, it might be. I don't want to be a video guy, though. I don't know. We, uh, on the Trinity of Terror tour, there was some pretty cool video stuff going on, but man, setting up those video walls every day and all the switchers and trying to get rates synced and all that good stuff. It, yeah. Time code, all that, all that fun stuff. I've got stories about top one of time code issues and everything. Well, we'll have to dig into that. I, I want to, you can redact names and, and protect the guilty or the innocent, but I sort of want to hear about that at some point. So you found an affinity for this in high school. You mentioned some college how did you make the jump from doing it in auditoriums or in local places to touring? What what got you involved in touring? How was your path there? Uh, so touring was something like I had always wanted to do. I didn't really realize. So like in high school, uh, it was all like musical theaters and like talking heads and like assemblies. We had one actual concert where it was like it was like a battle of the bands like fundraiser where a bunch of bands came in with like their own drum kits and guitar amps. And like, we didn't mic any of it. It was just all vocals coming through the PA. Uh, but I still was like, this is awesome. Like rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to school. I went to, I went off to college. Basically my parents were like, you need to go to college. You need to pick something to do. And I went to college and the college that I went to at the time was very hands-on with their students and like, everything um once you got further into the program and like your senior like junior senior equivalent years twice a month instead of having like a regular lab where you sit down in a lab room and you go over blah 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 uh they would bring in a local band and you would go from empty room to show like you would load the band in you would mic up their drum kit and their guitar amps you would dial monitors you would program lights you would mix front of house you would fly a small pa like everything uh and i was like this is this is awesome and like i spent so many because you could also volunteer for other classes labs of this kind like if they didn't have enough people you could like volunteer to staff you know theirs as well and get some sort of like recognition with teachers and facetime and all that and so that's what i did and i did that primarily through most of college and that's what really got me the bug. Uh, and then it came time, like last couple months, I was there and I was like, man, all my friends are like getting jobs. Like I had friends that had already locked in jobs at VER Tour Sound in Nashville and Sound Image and Claire Brothers. Like my best friend in college 
uh, was the only one from his graduating class to like go work for Claire Brothers. Like he got handpicked. You know, people were working with WWE, all this stuff. And I was like, I want to do something like that. And then a buddy of mine uh, was like, oh yeah, I got hired on the Vans Warp Tour. Uh, the college I went to had a really good, like close relationship with the Vans Warp Tour. And I was like, that'd be awesome. And, you know, he had already gotten hired. And I was like, I don't know if there's any other positions. So I went to like our career advisor and I was like, listen, this is what I want to do. And he was like, well, you're in luck. There's a new position that they're doing this year and they haven't hired anyone for it yet. And so I got an email from the operations director. I had a phone call. And then within like 48 hours of me having that meeting with our career advisor, I had an email in my inbox that was like, we'd like to offer you the job. And so my first tour ever was a warp tour as the like operations assistant intern kind of deal. What year was that? That was 2015. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. So I did. Uh, so that was my first year. Then I got uh, off of that. And then I did three more consecutive years moving up. So I like started in as like the operations assistant. Then I became one of the stages backline managers. Then I became one of the side stage managers. And then I got moved up to being like a one of the I stage managed the monster stage. It's like all the heavy music, which is how I met Logan and Elmo because Motionless was on my stage. And at the time, Elmo was mixing monitors for Motionless. So when I met you for the first time in person, we were at an In This Moment show with uh, Black Veil Brides. Yep. Uh, Green Bay? I believe it was Green Bay. Yeah, because I was, I was helping out Brian Hardiswick with a couple of things. Because uh, his, his like record rig crashed. Yeah. And he reached out to me and asked, he, he knew that I knew waves and had sound grid and all that good stuff. And they had tried to record audio for a Halloween DVD, I believe that they were going to release. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the record rig had crashed. And so he called, I came out to Green Bay, recorded that show with the plan of using that audio for the DVD. And then I also went out to somewhere in Pennsylvania, it might've been Pittsburgh, Stage AE. Pittsburgh, uh, Stage AE, yeah. Yeah. And saw you again there, but how did you get wrapped or not wrapped up with, but how did you get plugged in with Black Veil Brides? Cause you were doing monitors for them at that point, right? Yeah. So at that point I was doing monitors and playback. So I originally, uh, Andy, the singer of Black Veil has a solo project called Andy Black and his tour manager at the time, a uh, really good friend of mine that I met on Warp Tour, this guy, Frank Finelli. Shout out Frank. Frank did a really cool thing during the pandemic with a fundraiser called For the Nomads to get a bunch of us touring folk, uh, some extra cash to keep us afloat. But Frank had like months, months prior posted on Facebook that he was looking for like a monitor guy slash production minded person for a tour. And I'd sent him my resume and had never heard anything uh, for like a while. And then finally, randomly one day I get a text message that's like, Hey John, it's Frank. Uh, I got the green light to start hiring for that tour you sent me your resume for. Are you still interested and available? And I was working for another band at the time and they were planning to go overseas to the UK and I was going to uh, be like the first crew member they brought from the States overseas. But it was a thing of like the budget wasn't there. So it was just a whole big kerfuffle. And I was like, listen, guys, I got this other tour offer. You go do it. You go make more money over there. I'll make some money doing this other gig and then we'll reconvene once you guys are back in the States. Uh, and so I got brought on to do uh, monitors and production stage managing for the Andy Black solo project in 2019. And so we did that. We did a headline tour in the States. We did uh, Rockstar's Disrupt Festival. And then we did a small UK run in the summer. And then that was it. And then come early 2020, I email Frank and Andy's manager and go, Hey guys, like just to let you know, like I'm available for anything that Andy Black might be doing or Black Bill Brides, the band might be doing uh, in the new year. And they shot me back and they're like, Oh, Frank's not tour managing this. He's the assistant tour manager on that. So like Blackville's got some dates. Let me loop you in with the tour manager who wound up being Boris. And so Boris and I like went back and forth on emails a lot. And finally it like, settled on me coming into the Blackville game 
and doing monitors and playback as well. And then we did like a week of rehearsals. We did one show in Mexico City. And then we got off the plane in Mexico. Like we got off the plane in LA. And it was like, great show. Like the show went flawless. It's like, great show, great show. Like, cool. Get like a couple days rest. We'll see you guys on Monday for rehearsals for the In This Moment tour. And then it never happened. Uh, like that Friday, we got back on like a Wednesday. And then that Friday is when Boris called me and was like, hey, bud, we're shut down. And I was like, oh, no, this is not okay. But then, you know, Blackville being LA local was really, uh, it really paid off during the pandemic because Blackville did a couple live streams uh, that I was a part of. And then when we started back up in the fall of 21, I want to say. Yeah, in the fall of 21, I was like right there. And like, it, it was like we hadn't, the we got the gang back together and we were off. That's pretty cool. Um, did you, you mentioned the the band that went over to the UK. Do you care to mention who that band was and how you got hooked up with them? I'm just sort of curious. But then I have questions about Black Veil. Yeah, I can just kind of run through like my band roster. Uh, so after my first Warp Tour, I got a phone call to go out uh, through a, one of the stage managers on Warp Tour hooked me up with a friend of his that was TM front of house for a metal band called Suicide Silence. They were going out direct support to Korn on the 20th anniversary of the first album tour in like fall of 2015. And that was the first like single band tour I did. And I was there. I was Suicide Silence's monitor guy and we were direct support. So I would, we'd pack up. I was using Korn's monitor console the band was on wedges. Uh, it was SC48, so I knew it like the back of my hand. I did monitors for the band. We packed the trailer. And then I would go out to front of house for corn and talk to their front of house guy, uh, this guy, Marco. I would talk to him and he would show me like all these different things he was doing and how he was getting Jonathan Davis's vocal to do this and do that. And like all this stuff he was doing on the profile. And then... Uh, at the end of the night, I would help him like tip his desk and like pack up some stuff. I'd go and help Stu, their old monitor guy, like wrap up some stuff if he needed. And then I would go on my bus and I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up the next day and do it all over again. And then I kind of took a break from touring for a while. I worked at a church in Orlando as their production technician. Uh, we had three campuses. I was, in, I was in charge of lighting and video, weirdly enough. Can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. Uh, so I was in charge of like doing lighting for the main campus's Sunday service. Uh, and then also they did a Thursday night service that they recorded to like go out to the satellite campuses. And they also did a service in the Orange County Jail in Orlando uh, as well. So I was in charge of like, I have to edit this video down to make sure that like it works. And then all these different export formats for different things, get them on these weird AJA hard drives to go into an AJA video player. And I was like, I don't know what this thing is, but I know what format to export video on. Uh, so I did that for a while and they were really great. They would let me, they let me take off to do Warped 2016. I just had to like make sure that all of my duties were covered. So I had to find like freelancers to do, because they had a really strong like freelancer program. Like a lot of the audio was done with freelancers uh, and stuff like that. So I had to find people to bring on to like cover doing lighting for the main service, keeping up with stuff, like fixing things, doing the video editing, all that. Then I came back from that and I went full time there for a while. Got a side job at House of Blues Orlando as a stage guy doing monitors too. And then got the opportunity to stage manage one of the smaller stages on Warp Tour. And through that, I met some people. So I left the job at the church did that warp tour in 2017. While I was on that, I did what everybody does. And you're like, oh, tour's winding down. I'm available for X, Y, and Z from this time. Keep me in mind. And got hit up by this band called The Interrupters. Uh, they're like a punk ska band from out here in LA. Great people. I, I love them. They're wonderful human beings, wonderful band to work for. Great music, great vibes. They were on the stage that I was backline managing the year before. And they were looking for an audio guy to do monitors that could also like restring and tune guitars. And so I 
was like, I'm down. Uh, they had just moved to all being on in-ears and off of wedges. They had gotten, what was it called? It's like the Soundcraft UI24, like a little rack mount blue Soundcraft mixer, 24 ins, eight outs. I learned how to, I sat in my living room and like restrung guitars with my roommate at the time who had played guitar. He's like, no, you have to do it this way. Do this. This is how you tune it. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then went out on that tour and that was some stuff in the US. It was two legs of a US tour broken up by a tour down in South America in the middle. So it was a US co-headliner. And then the South America stuff was opening for Green Day. That's crazy. Yeah, that was some of the wildest stuff of like soccer arenas, soccer stadiums in South America. Wow. Yeah. And so we did that. And then I had linked up with a couple people after that. Uh, basically, I had the band had looked at me and was like, hey, John, we want to keep you around. We really like having you. And I was like, well, I want to stay. I really like being here. Uh, what do we got to do? And, you know, it was a thing of like, well, move to L.A. And I was like, okay. And my roommate at the time had really wanted to move out here because he did audio post-production. And so we packed up our apartment and moved out here to LA. And I kept working for the Interrupters. And then I also started working for this band called Set It Off. They needed a like general stage tech, like somebody to set up drums, set up guitars, line check drums and guitars, and then run playback and make like monitor adjustments. And so I did that. I'd like alternate between the interrupters and set it off uh, for a while and then set it off. And I got along really well. Um, I had parted ways with the interrupters just because our schedules didn't line up anymore. And I'd stayed with set it off for a while. That was the band that wanted to bring me over to the UK. I love those guys still to this day. Uh, they're great. The singer and I share a birthday. So like every year it's like, oh, hey, happy birthday. It's like, oh, happy birthday to you, too. Love those guys. They're great. And then I started working with Andy shortly after that. And then it's just been like in this metalcore world from there. That's so fascinating. I, I love hearing people's stories about how they went from where they were to where they are today. But man, getting to play soccer arenas in South America had to just be pure insanity. It was one of the craziest moments of my life. And like, it was so funny. Um, the, the twins, uh, the interrupters. So the interrupters, uh, the guitar player is the older brother of the bass player and drummer who are twins. And then the singer is the guitar player's wife. It's a real family affair. I love it. And they were great. Like when I moved out here, they were all like, oh, like, do you want to come over for dinner on Friday? Like, oh, we're going out to this place. Like, da, da, da. Like, do you want to go out for drinks down the street? All that stuff. They were wonderful. But the twins every day, in these soccer arenas would post from their Instagram accounts, like where is at Eagle Scout John today? And they'd just be like them in catering halfway across the soccer field, looking at me taping down set lists and posting videos on Instagram. And I was like, this is insanity. Uh, and then, yeah, so that, that was like the wildest couple days. And I got to know the, at the time, the Green Day crew, like really well. I saw one of them. I saw their keyboard tech in Nashville on this last tour I was on. And he was like, dude, what are you doing here? Isn't it funny how you build those strong relationships, even though you're not together for more than a couple of weeks at a time, but then you run into somebody on another part of the world and it's like you run into your best friend slash brother or whatever. Right. It's, it's wild. He's like, oh, we're going to the bar afterwards. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to the bar afterwards, Mark. I think I'm going to bed. <laughs> like, I'm not 21 anymore, buddy. I know that feeling all too well also. Do you, uh, when you were working with the interrupters, what was your monitor rig? So it was uh, a four rack of Sennheiser G3s, a Soundcraft UI24R. There was a Seismic Audio 24 channel split. And then when I left, we had just upgraded all the vocal and backline wireless to Shure ULXD. Nice. Yeah, the Shure ULXD, I like that a lot. I have several units of that myself and some Axiant mm -hmm. stuff, but ULXD gets the job done. It, you just don't have the full... Yeah, ULXD really gets the job done. Uh, at the time, we were looking to move to UHFR, but they had just discontinued it. And everybody was like, oh, you got to go Axiant. And I was like, that's so much money. And we were worried about 
because they run at the time. I don't know if they still do. It's been many years since I've worked for or seen them. But at the time, they would run the singer and the guitar player would have the Space Echo RE20 pedal and they would run that out of their wireless receiver to the pedal and then into a DI box. And that was the vocal chain. So they would trigger their own like throw delays. And we were worried about latency using the ULXD, but I had Brad from Bestronics come out to our show in Chicago and he brought a demo unit and we tried it and there was no latency. There was like virtually nothing. And I was like, this is great. We're, this is what we're getting. Yeah. I think it's, it's less than a millisecond or 1.2 or I can't remember the number, but I, I measured, I tried to measure it at one point with smart, but that's what I mm-hmm. came up with. I just don't remember yeah. the exact number. And then when you were with Blackvale, were you on an X32 for monitors? I know Boris was on a profile at that point. He's since switched to SD11. Yeah. So at that point, Boris was on a profile SC48 and the band had owned a X32 compact. So the 16 channel version. And before I came into the fold, it was like a haphazard, not haphazard, but it was like they used the 16 mic pre's and then converted eight channels off the split to quarter inch to go into the to get the eight extra inputs and then had like the quarter inch outputs converted to XLR to hit the Sennheiser units. So it was a six package Sennheiser G3s, two channels of Sennheiser G3 RF microphones for Andy and his spare. And then uh, the X32 compact. When I came into it, I owned a DL32. And so I was like, we're just going to use this DL32 because I don't, we're gonna, I want all 32 channels that we're getting. I don't want to cut anything. I don't want to convert anything anywhere. And that was great because I, I was able to really like start dialing in full mixes for the guys. And then that was only in this moment tour. And then we had upgraded to the SD11s for Trinity of Terror. Yeah, I, I knew that those were fairly new to the the camp and i believe you sort of helped set up those sd11s yeah um i've been a big digico fan for a while and so at the end of 2021 when we were talking about getting new consoles because i think like the x32 like the screen cracked on it or something like i was for like the last bit of the tour i was like flying blind you know i was like i think this is what i'm supposed to i can't see numbers and so i Boris and I had talked a lot about like what consoles we wanted. Uh, and so we settled on SD11s and we shared a D-Rack using a little red box. And so Boris, you know, would call me and be like, how do I do this? And I'd go, okay, do this, 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 this. Uh, and he'd go, okay, cool. Thank you. It works. Hang up the phone. And then like, he'd send me a video and he'd be like, why is this happening this way? And I'd be like, oh, that's why this is happening. We have to do this. And then I set up that monitor file during pre-production. Uh, and then when I left Blackville, I handed that file off to John, who now does the gig. Yeah, John's a cool dude, too. I, I spent a lot of time with him. We were RF buddies because we were operating all of our wireless sort of in the same spectrum. Yeah. And so we would we would make sure we coordinated with one another. But yeah, just super nice guy. Really, really like him a lot. Great yeah. guy. I uh, there we The last story I did with them was a small Europe run that ended with download. And that was, I had already like told them I was leaving and they'd already decided that John was going to move over from stage right to stage left and replace me. And so he and I spent a lot of time together. Like, this is how this works. This is how like this, this is how the rig is built this way. This is this, this is how this works. This is how this works all. I like, I was deleting content off my phone the other day and I was like, oh, here's the walkthrough video I made of setting everything up and making sure it all talks to each other. You should have saved it. I would like to have seen it. (laughs) <laughs> I might still have it. He definitely has it. Oh, I'll, I'll ping him for it. Uh, just because I'm curious. I love seeing rig rundowns and seeing how everything's put together. Yeah. So you left Black Veil, and then did you go straight over to Pierce the Veil? Uh, no, I did a small um, traveling music, like a mini warp tour um, called Sad Summer Festival. And I got a phone call for that from my buddy TJ Russell. Uh, TJ and I had done dj and i have worked together a lot but uh we had done this band called paris but it's with a v instead of the a so it's pivris tj is normally their monitor guy but there was a tour where their normal front of house guy couldn't do it 
And so TJ did front of house and then he called me to do monitors. And that was towards like the end of 2019. And so we, he and I did that together. Uh, I did their first tour back from COVID as filling in as Mons and PM because TJ was busy with another gig. They're great. I love working with them too. I love working for almost every band, you know, like every band I work for is great. It just, it makes it so hard when they all conflict and I have to pick one. Same, same. But so I did this festival. TJ knew the production manager for Sad Summer and uh, was like, hey, I heard you're done with Black Veil. Are you available to do this gig? And I was like, oh, I think so. Like, sure, put me in touch. We'll see if it works out. I got in touch. I wound up signing on to do it. I was the festival monitor guy. And so I came in and designed the patch, uh, like the master patch for the festival. I designed like the full festival patch of, okay, cool. On your X32 rack, kick in as channel three or whatever. We'll kick in in our festival patch as channel one. So you take channel one from our fan out split and patch it into your channel three. Like I designed all that. I also wound up becoming the RF coordinator for the tour because I had my scanner with me. To be fair though, like I, I was the festival monitor guy, but I only had to mix one band and it was the first band of the day because they were the only band that didn't have an in-ear system. You know, every other band was on ears and didn't need wedges. The bands that needed side fills, I went into their X32 files and dialed in a side fill mix for them. <laughs> And so I wound up doing that. And that was great. I met uh, Brian, Brian McDonald. He was doing front of house for the festival on that. And so he and I got to work real closely together. I actually listened to the episode of the podcast he was on. Uh, I had signed on for the gig and got introduced to him. And I was like, let me see what this dude's about. And I was like, oh, I think Steve did a podcast with him. He's a great guy too. I, I, I love that guy. He's great. He is so knowledgeable about like systems. He uh, he built me a couple of cables when we were out doing a show there and I was missing some cables and he sorted me out right away. But yeah, he is a systems guru. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's just a great guy. He's great. So how did you get hooked up with Pierce the Veil then? So uh, my one of my best friends, uh, another fellow audio guy that I've had the pleasure um, of knowing and touring with and talking shop with for a long time. Uh, his name is J.P. Huff. He had gotten approached about doing front of house for Pierce the Veil through a number of different, like, I want to say four or five different people had recommended him for the gig. And so when he had his initial phone call, they were like, listen, we need all new crew. There's, you know, the band hadn't toured in five years because they were writing a new album and then COVID and all that. And so all of their crew had moved on to other gigs and other bands and some of them retired from touring completely and stuff like that. And so they needed everything like down to like merch and content. And so my friend JP had gotten approached and was basically, he, you know, did the question. I think we all ask like, well, who else is on the crew? And their manager was like, nobody. And he goes, I can staff this whole tour in like five minutes. And so he got off the phone with them, called me while I was in rehearsals for Trinity of terror, like one and was like, Hey, keep your eye out for an email. And I was like, what? And he goes, I, I can't say a lot. Keep your eye out for an email and just hung up the phone. And I was like, okay. And so like, we're doing Trinity of Terror leg one. And it just like stuck in the back, like we're chugging along and it like stuck. He's like, he said to look out for an email. And then one day we had a day off somewhere. I'm chilling in the hotel and I get a text message from Pierce the Veil's manager. That's like, hey, my name is so-and-so. Like I manage Pierce the Veil. I got your name from JP Huff. We're looking for a monitor guy. Let me know if you're interested. I just shot back and I was like, I'm interested. Like, sure, I'm interested. Let's talk a little bit more. So we went back and forth over email for a while. I had to have a phone call with Jaime, the bass player, because he's the audio nerd in the band. Um, and he and I just like hit it off. Like by the end of the phone call, he was sending me text messages of like his bass rig um, and all that. And I was like, this is awesome. Like this bass rig slaps. This guy's really cool. Like if JP's locked in, like I'm locked in. Uh, then I came to found out a really good friend of mine, Cam Birchall, was tour managing the band. And I was like, this is even better. Like, I don't have to like, this is gr I'm in. And so, you know, it took a little bit just because like getting the whole crew and then figuring out, you know, budgetary things, all that. The tour dates moved a couple times to accommodate some festivals. And then it was like locked in. You know, we slowly started locking in all the crew and I got locked in. I was like, this is great. Like, you know, I'm ready to start this gig. I'm ready to do this. Like. 
let's let's go and it was it was kind of just like somebody had pushed pause and hadn't pushed play yet and i'm just sitting there like i got i want to go i want to go like i'm excited that's really cool uh, when i saw you with them with uh i prevail you were on you were doing monitors on an avid s6l correct did you did you choose that or how did that work so i i did a tour with paris right out of covid on a c1500 a d live with the ip8 like fader extension so the way paris is mixed is pre fader and post fader um, and so a lot of the post-fader moves are done off of VCAs off of the IP8 extension wing. And I was like, man, like, I really like this. I like this platform. I like how this works. I didn't need to use waves at all. The only thing that wasn't in the desk was a uh, Neve 5045 for Lindsay's vocal. You know, this is great. Like, it was wonderful. Um, and so when it came time to do, to like start specking consoles, JP and I had many conversations with many different audio vendors. We put together a whole like document of this is the front of house A rig. This is the front of house B rig. This is the front of house C rig. This is the monitor A rig. This is like, this is what we need for this. This is how we need this. Um, and so JP's A, B, and C were a SSL L500, uh, Avid S6L, and then a D Live. And then mine was D Live, Avid, Pro 2. And we had a talk with a lot of different audio vendors. JP did not get his L500. But one of them came back and was like, how do you guys feel about sharing a stage rack? And we both like, you know, separately texted each other and we're like, how do we feel about this? And he was like, I'm fine if you're fine. And I was like, I'm fine if you're fine. You know, cut down on costs, cut down on space, all that stuff. And so we got quotes for a DLive and an S6. And ultimately, I bowed down to JP's wishes of wanting an S6. He's doing a lot more like group to group and bus to bus and aux to group to bus processing out front. And like, I just can't, you can't do that on a DLive yet. That's like the big thing that's missing. Plus I, I'm utilizing waves a good chunk in monitor beach. And, you know, you think of waves, you think of live mixing consoles, you think of avid, you know, it's just, it's very stable. And so it was kind of like a no brainer. and. I love the D live, but honestly, like, I don't know if I could, like, I could definitely mix the show on a different console. I would need some prep time on it first. Can you talk us through your S6L, S6L infrastructure then? So what do you all do and what do you have next to you in monitor world? And just take us through sort of your workflow a little bit at a, at a 30,000 foot level. Yeah. Um, so I've got the uh, the main console we've been using all fall and winter was a SXL 24D. Um, I had the E6L 132 engine. That doesn't sound completely right. Uh, the 144. Um, so I had the 144 engine. We had a stage 64 fully maxed out. Um, we share a stage rack. And so all the inputs are shared between us. I have the first three output cards and JP claims the last output card in case he needs to like hit the PA from stage or stuff like that. And then I've got a waves uh, extreme integrated into it. And then, yeah, that's really it. Like that I'm using a uh, Vic, uh, the vocal chain that the band owns. It's a couple analog preamps, uh, analog compressor. Um, and then that's what hits us off. So it goes, UHFR out to the preamp. Uh, I think they're made by BAE Audio. Uh, and then out of that into a Manly compressor, I want to say. And then out of that into the, the stage rack. But yeah, that's it. I'm not doing too much. JP uh, has a SXL24C as well. Uh, but he also has a stage 16 out front because he's doing a lot of outboardy, you know, SSL Fusion bus pluses stuff out there that I'm not doing. I stood next to him at front of house at that show in Green Bay earlier this or earlier in 2022, and I don't remember what he had. I just remember it sounded really good. So, yep, he is he is a wizard. I don't understand how he does it. I'm not a front of house guy. I don't pretend to be. Uh, I'm a monitor guy through and through, and that man knows what he's doing. I need to get him on. So after this podcast, I'll get his info from you and we'll... Uh, yeah. Maybe and then we do one together. <laughs> yeah. I'll do each individually and then we'll put one all together. 
Sounds like a plan. I know this year, uh, he's looking at like different options for getting all his local IO stuff in because we're at the point where he's outgrown a stage 16 uh, and a stage 32 is just so much. Yeah. Did you, how did you guys go about making mic selections for things like drums and vocals? Was that already the band's choice or decision or, or how did that work? Uh, no. So, um, the band is all really direct. So it's, uh, Vic, the singer and guitar player, he's on a Kemper. Jaime, the bass player, he's got an Avalon U5 for the pre an Avalon U5 for the post. And then he's got a Ampeg like mini stack. It's like a single 12 speaker or a single 10 that lives in his like bass rack in his mothership. And then we just put a, a PR30 from Heil on it uh, for a mic. Tony, the other guitar player, is this was the first tour. He was Kemper. And then we experimented with the Neural DSP Quad Cortex. Uh, and that is by far one of the best things out there right now. Like he profiled him and his guitar tech, uh, Nick had profiled tones and like worked hours on getting the sound right and getting levels right. And all that Vic's wireless Vic's microphone, the wireless, uh, lead and spare were both just regular 58 capsules and they sounded really good. Uh, JP and I had made the decision. We weren't going to change that yet just because we didn't want to be the sound guys that came in and said, no, you have to do this. And then it didn't sound right or didn't sound how they wanted it. And, you know, then uh, we're the ones that get blamed and all that stuff. So we kept him on the 58. We wound up switching him over to a V7 partway through the second leg of that tour. Uh, Josh Mahan from I Prevail, they're on V7s and he had given me one. So like, he, he's like, hey, if you want to try this out with Vic, like, Go right ahead. So thank you, Josh. Uh, I know you will be listening to this because I was texting him earlier today about how excited I was to be on this podcast. Um, but drum microphones, uh, that is all JP. We had talked a lot about different things. Uh, and so we finally settled on the kick in is the Bayer D71. Big fan. Huge fan. Yeah. that I was, I was astounded at that microphone. The kick out is a D6. Uh, snare, we are doing a high LPR 22, uh, in addition to an Audio Technica AE 3000 on the top. So, two we got the, the dynamic and condenser. The bottom is a 57. Hi hat, ride, hi hat, and ride are the SE7 pencil condensers. Toms are all Audix. It's uh, D2 on the rack, D6 is on the floors. Overheads are the SE 4400s, the like 414 clone. Uh, bongos. Because we have a bongo. Uh, it's a beta 57. Jaime is the other vocal in the band. Uh, he's on a V7 wired. And that's really all the microphones on stage. It's so, it's, those are all choices that I got excited as you were reading them off because. Yeah. There were a few that like he and I kept, like I kept going, well, let's try this. And he goes, nah, I'm good. Sometimes you don't really need to dig any deeper. You know, you just dig yourself into a hole. Yeah. I will say that. The neural quad core. I'm so stoked for that thing. One of my guys in a tray you just switched from Kemper to Neural, and I'm leaving for Europe in a week or so. Be the first run of shows on the Neural, and I can't wait for it. Kemper is a great device, but there's just something magical about those neurals that mm -hmm. I can't describe it. Every, all of them are Kemp, Kempers, uh, Fractals, the Line 6 Helixes, the Neurals. They're all great. Um, it really just, it depends on what you need it to do kind of thing. Totally agree. I, I've, I've heard a number of helixes and have gotten to work with some of the helixes and those things are amazing. They just sound good right out of the box too. Yeah. The more I work with profiling and modeling amps though, I, I gotta say Kemper is sort of slipping on my list of favorites. It used to be the one that I would just go to, but now, now I think it's neural Maybe then the Axe Effects, maybe, I don't know. It's sort of close between that and the Helix and then the Kemper. But I'm also not a guitar guy or an instrument player, so it's just... Right. I don't, I don't play instruments. I know, I know what sounds good, and I know what I like when it sounds. And honestly, like if, you're ha if the artist is happy with it, I will be happy with it. Totally agree. I will say, though, Pierce the Veil is very like involved in their sound, and so... 
anytime like Jaime got a new bass partway through the tour. He got it right before when we were young. We didn't use it at when we were young. We wanted to keep all variables the same for that festival. But then afterwards, his Guitar Tech Florida would set it up and he'd like play it during sound check and very like he'd go to the talk back and go, John and JP, what do you guys think about this bass? What do you think about the tone? What do you think? Anytime Tony, the guitar player, would change anything on the neural, he'd be like, hey, does it still sound good? Do the levels sound good? One of the newer songs they're playing off of the new album that's coming out uh, has a fuzz tone. So Vic implemented a fuzz pedal into his board. And every day it was, what do you guys think about this? Because it was one of the ones where you can pick a bunch of different fuzzes on it. And uh, it was like, okay, what do you think about this? Okay, what about this fuzz? Which one do you like more? Which one do you like less? Very, very involved. And I am so appreciative of that because they really want it to sound good at the source. I love guys like that. It just makes everything so much easier for everybody involved when you've got somebody that's invested in what they're sending to you because then you don't have to work magic. And sometimes working that magic can make things not sound quite as good. So it's, uh, yeah. I just, I love those guys like that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's such a pleasure working for them. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds awesome. I'm super happy that you're hooked up with them and doing the things you're doing. Cause it's, it's really cool. All right. We're getting close to an hour. Our time has sort of flown by. Oh, wow. I know it doesn't seem like it, does it? One of the things that I've been doing in the last couple of podcasts is asking what is the one thing or multiple things that you've learned over the past year it could be technical, it could be interpersonal, it could be anything you can dream of, but what's one thing that you've learned over the last year that you wish you'd have known all of your life? Like what's a, what's a tip or a trick that you think is share worthy with everybody? Uh, I think you as also an audio guy that kind of does both monitors in front of house will appreciate this, but RF RF is a big, bad, a uh, big bad wolf in the live event industry right now. Josh Mahan and I would talk about how we cowboy frequencies together and just wrangle whatever we can every day. On the Black Veil Bra, on the Trinity of Terror, like one, we played a festival, a small festival in Orlando where there wasn't an RF coordinator present. And there were a bunch of different bands and like you loaded in backwards. And so Godsmack was headlining. They loaded in like, they locked in their frequencies. Then Three Days Grace, who Josh Mahan was working for, loaded in. He got his frequencies. And then it was our turn to load in. And I walked up and both Josh from Three Days and uh, Pat from Godsmack just kind of looked at me and went, good luck, bud. And I just was like, oh, no. And so I was like, I wound up. Josh Mahan and I share, like we had similar frequency ranges. And so I was like, dude, I need, like I found one. I need four more to get through the show. And so he like, let me borrow some from him. I found like a kind of clean one. And I was like, all right, I think I, and I just like blasted pink noise through all of it for hours. <laughs> and then it gets to our set and I hit go on the playback computer. Everybody walks out. They start the first song as the intro finishes. And the first song rolls, the drummer, Cece, looks over to me and goes, hey, I got nothing. And I was like, oh, uh, and I'm like trying to get him a frequency. And then Jake, the one guitar player was like, I also have nothing. Like it's just cutting in and out. And I was like, oh my God, this is the worst day of my life. And shining like an angel comes Pat from Godsmack with just two XLRs and goes, these go to a PSM 1000, plug them into your drummer's outputs now. So I just jam them in there and I like listen to it real quick. And I'm like, sounds like a drummer mix and just gave his tech the pack and was like, put this on him now. And so that was when I was like, I never want to be caught in this situation again. So I bought, uh, I was talking to Josh Mahan, I'm talking to Pat and then talking to my buddy, uh, Trip Martin, who does monitors for in this moment. I was like, what RF scanner do I need to buy? What program do I need to buy? Like, what do I need to do here? So they got me on the RF Explorer. No, not RF. Yeah, RF Explorer and like the software for that. And I dove in. Like I have a YouTube playlist of just RF Masterclass. And I dove in and read everything I could. I schooled myself on wireless workbench and like 
how far apart to put frequencies and um and then actually Sully, Ice Nine's monitor guy, sent me the spreadsheet to calculate like inner mod and all. And I was like, I am, I never want to be caught with my pants down like that again. You just rattled off a list of who's who in the monitor world because <laughs> Pat is a legend. Josh, of course. Pat is great. I love I saw Pat. So we did you jumped on uh asking jumped onto those radio shows like replacing Black Veil. And so you had met Pat. Pat is great. I ran into him over in Europe when he was doing Volbeat. We were doing a bunch of the same festivals. So that was cool to like see him in his element on his Pro X and do all that. Um, yeah, Pat is great. Josh Mahan is one of my best friends. Like I, I forever am like, I have a guy that I can give any gig that I can't do to and feel safe. He's the coolest guy ever. Like just so helpful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like every day on that, I prevail pierce the veil tour. He would just come up and like, I would give him like a pack during our set. And then in return, like he'd give me a pack during their set. Uh, Eric, the screamer for I prevail would come out and do a song with pierce every day. So he'd be like listening to Eric's mix for that. It just, the two of us worked so like tan in tandem that stage left. There was no bad vibes. I can't imagine ever a bad day with Josh Mahan. He's just, just, the best guy. He's so cool. Yeah. And then you also mentioned Sully from Ice Nine. And Sully is a monitor. Matt, Matt Sully. Great guy. Yeah. Great monitor guy. Taught me a lot about RF. Taught me a lot about... I'm a Digico. Like, I at one point in my life, was a very big Digico guy. And I kind of got away from it a little bit. Then getting on the SD11, Ice Nine also had an SD11. And in talking with him about this and workflows and this, that, he taught me some things and different hotkeys to set up and different ways to do things I was already doing that freed up stuff for me. And I was like, this is wonderful. I remember I was having an issue. There was one show. It was one of two shows where there was not enough room for all three of us stage left. So I had to go stage right. And I hate being stage right. I am a stage left guy every day of the week. Like stage right is stage wrong. Uh, and so there was one show I was having like, Everything was great. We did line check. We were on time. It was wonderful. And then we go for show and they start going and like none of my effects engines are working in the SD11. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I remember, I think it was Rich, Richard Brown, our production assistant <laughs> comes up and is like, what's going on? And I just screamed at him. I was like, go get Sully. I need Sully here now. <laughs> and so he went and he got Sully. And so he's like, what's going on? And I was like, I have no effects. I have no reverb. I have no delay. I have no this. I have no nothing. I have no effects in any of my mixes. And so we're like going through stuff and we're like, I'm like pinking ev like all the auxes and they're all sending. Everything is routed properly. Just nothing was returning. And he was just like, the only thing, the only other thing I can think of is you need to reset your console. And I was like, I'm in the middle of a show. I can't reset my console. <laughs> Plus if Boris and I were gain sharing with the SD11s, and so if I turned off my console, like his stuff was all messed up. And I was like, I, I can't do that right now. And so in my talk back, I'm like, hey, guys, that's an issue with the console. Uh, I can't, I have to restart it. And we're mid-show. I don't want to restart it. And they're like, no, don't restart it. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll just deal with it for the next 20 minutes. And uh, I'll figure out the issue tomorrow. <laughs> Sully is, he's a great troubleshooter. We, on the Trinity of Terror, like three I had a couple of really crazy RF things going on and we quickly determined that it was my diversity fin that had an issue. I had the RF venue diversity fin and the, the one where it's the, the fin and then the two whips. Yeah, exactly. And you know, he helped me troubleshoot that I tried everything else and I sort of thought that may be it, but it's always good to have a second set of eyes mm -hmm. sort of confirm before you condemn something. And he lent me an antenna and, you know, just so, so helpful. And yeah, I even on the Pierce the Veil tour, I had a couple issues. Tony, the guitar player, was having an issue with like his ears sweating out and him like losing the right side of his in-ears. And so I texted Sully, you know, hey, has this ever happened? He's like, oh, yes, this has happened with Spencer. Like do this with this and do that, that, this, do this with Vaseline, put it here. Come to find out it wasn't anything with sweat or anything. It was just an issue with like, the way that mold was done. And then I'd actually, we, I 
the helical for our PSM 1000s broke. Uh, the BNC connector had come unseat, like unsoldered from that little thing on the inside. So I took a picture of it and sent it to Sully and was like, hey, is this like, can I just fix this with solder or do I need to like send it in or what? He's like, nope, fix it with solder. You're good. Yeah, he's so matter of fact about things, but he's yep. 99 times out of 100, he's right about whatever he's being matter of fact about. So I love it. He's also like the calmest guy ever. Something yeah. could be literally on fire and he'd look over and he'd go, hmm, that probably shouldn't be on fire. And then yep. go take care of it. We did we did Blue Ridge this year. And then the whole Trinity of Terror, like a two package, Sans, whoever was opening that, was doing Blue Ridge. And so me and Mayhan load in. So I prevail is headlining the stage word direct support. Mayhan and I load in. And then at some point, like up come Sully and Elmo. I'm just like, ah, so like Sully, there's not, I was like, you can go here or you can go there, like da da da. And he just goes, I'll go here. That's fine. And he's like way far back from his band, like can barely see them if all the other monitor engineers are standing at their desks. He's just like, that's fine. I I I, I think if you spilled a scalding hot cup of coffee on him, he would maybe notice it. It might register. I don't know. He's just so <laughs> so calm. Yep. All right. I've got to ask two more quick questions. I just thought of this question and it's sort of intriguing. What's on your Netflix playlist? What what are you watching right now? Okay, Netflix playlist. Uh, I can pull it up because it's very interesting. On my flight to the UK for the Pierce UK run headliner we just did, I've watched all of Wednesday. That show is phenomenal. I love it. I cannot wait for season two. It is great. Other things in my Netflix playlist, uh, season two of the show called Ginny and Georgia just came out. I watched it during the pandemic. Uh, I'm hooked. Like I'm a 28 year old man. And for some reason I love like teen angst rom-com things. So like, that's what that show is I'm trying to think of what else, uh, anything like any comic, like comedian type things I love. Uh, so like John Mulaney sketches, on the bus, me and our merch guy watched the new Gabriel Iglesias special that he filmed out here at Dodger Stadium. Uh, anything like that. I'm the opposite. I like the like the Narcos and the Ozark, and mm-hmm. I'm into Tulsa King right now and Paramount Plus. That is a great show with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I also watched a show that just got canceled called Inside Job. It's like a Rick and Morty style animation about this company that's like above the government and controls everything and like tries to hide the paranormal. I thought it was great. Uh, I do not think that it should have been canceled, but Netflix hates me for some reason. So I'm going to have to check that out because I have seen it in, in the section where it's like, you might also enjoy blah, blah, blah. And I've seen it. So I'll have to check that out. But yeah, that show was great. Knowing that it's canceled. I now I'm upset that it doesn't get to have a proper closure. Yeah. All right. And then my last question for you is, what do you have coming up in 2023? How's your calendar looking? Uh, the calendar is looking good. I can't say a lot of stuff. Nothing's announced yet. It's still all like firming up everything. But uh, Pierce the Veil is on when we were young 2023. Um, so I'll be doing that again. Uh, and that lineup looks great. Blink-182 and Green Day headlining. Like, yes, all day long. And then... A lot of stuff on the tour, like on the road, and then good amount of time home. It's like a really good balance right now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that's a good place for us to call it quits here. We're just over an hour, and that's usually where I like to keep these things. But man, it was so good to see you and so good to talk to you. I really enjoyed your stories and learning a little bit more about you, and especially getting to hear about some of the different systems and things like that. I'm such a gear nerd, so thanks for walking us oh, through yeah. all of that. Gear, gear is great. Gear, gear helps us do our jobs. That is true. Are you familiar with the term gas gear acquisition syndrome? Uh, no, but I think my front of house guy may have that. I definitely have it. My, my credit <laughs> card is gassed out, if you will. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I am sure I will run into you many times uh, later this year. At least I hope I do. So until then, I wish you the very best and can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And then let's do let's do one with JP in the near future. Yeah, uh, we got to get JP on here and then we'll do another one. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. It was nice to just talk with somebody about this stuff for a while. 
Yeah. Anytime, man. It's uh, I can talk it all day, but I'm not sure if anybody would like to listen all day. So <laughs> telling you, we got to get somebody to interview you and put you on the podcast. Maybe for episode number 50, I'll find somebody to do that because I'm, I'm creeping up on number 50, but I don't know. I've had a crazy life. I don't know if an hour is enough to walk through everything, <laughs> but thank you. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mix Masters. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mix Masters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Sure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy. And thanks again for listening.